0: If you know someone with Parkinson's or you know nothing about Parkinson's, you will want to read Brian's story. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader? Audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's Foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else. Primarily, but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. Okay, so once again, I am going to offer a twofer in this episode. If you prefer the single subject ones, well, so do I. But We're in a bit of a lull here when it comes to real happenings in the NBA, and I still haven't mustered the motivation to hit my Derrick Rose should now be a slam dunk for the Hall of Fame rant just yet. So, here are the two topics we're going to hit. Why Philadelphia 76ers GM Daryl Morey may have more time on his hands to move Ben Simmons than I originally thought, and my biggest issue with the optics of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George looking, let us say, less than enthused at the Clippers ceremony to celebrate the groundbreaking for their new arena. But we start with the Maury Simmons item because how the 76ers resolve having their young cornerstone point guard no longer interested in playing for them is the number one storyline going into training camp. For all teams in the NBA. I've been fairly adamant that the Sixers have to move him before training camp opens. Largely because of the distraction created if they don't. Sources, not mine, but sources reported elsewhere, say Simmons has vowed not to report to training camp if he has not been traded. I believe he would refuse to report. Largely because I couldn't see how the 76ers could force him to do otherwise. And I do believe he is genuinely done with the Sixers because of comments by Joel Embiid and Doc Rivers uh, during and after their time getting knocked out of the playoffs. There are various timelines now on which players get paid. Usually it's every two weeks during the season, sometimes it's in lump sums at various junctures kobe bryant if i'm not mistaken at one point negotiated to get 80 percent of his entire year's salary on november 1st some 24 out of a total 30 million dollars for that year and i have heard that simmons has some sort of lump sum plan as well not as extreme as kobe but well beyond every two weeks in any case He's not in danger of losing much, if any, of his $33 million contract this season. And if the Sixers are really interested in him participating, then threatening him with fines probably isn't the way to go, particularly if they think he's going to actually play in any preseason or even regular season games if it comes to that. What I've been told, though, and what I had not considered, quite frankly, is that the league could very well exert some back-channel pressure on Simmons and his agent, Rich Paul, to play nice and show up for camp and give Morey a longer runway to make a deal. After all, you have John Wall wanting to be elsewhere just as much as Simmons, and he and the Rockets have agreed that he will show up and participate in camp, but he will not be expected to play for Houston this season. I'm going to stop short of saying wall is doing something noble by agreeing to do so. Player empowerment has clearly grown over the last decade and continues to expand into new territory, and some of it I don't mind and actually consider healthy. The further we get away from athletes being handled like property, the better we'll all be. But I'm old school when it comes to giving an honest day's work for an honest day's wage. If you're getting paid, then you should play or you should practice, or you should work. I'm not of the Bonzi-Wells School of Employee Calculus either, Wells having once said that he was getting paid one-fourth of what he was worth, so his team, I believe it was the Blazers, were going to get one-fourth, no, maybe it was the Kings, one of those two. They were only going to get one-fourth of what he was capable of doing. That means what I'm doing is a straight-up job, if I were to take that approach. And while I may call what I do a job, the truth is, it's a passion. I love doing what I do, even when it's aggravating or frustrating or tiring. And those are common adjectives, not common adjectives, rather, for how I feel. In any case, the league doesn't want to add training camp holdouts back into its lexicon. They were not unusual when I first started covering the league, before it introduced the rookie salary scale, leaving no room or reason for rookies to try to negotiate a better deal. Teams automatically gave rookies the max, the rookie salary scale allowed for the spot they were drafted, and continue to do so, leaving nothing to negotiate. Back then... Every rookie that came in was trying to get paid a little bit more than whatever the rookie got paid in that slot in the previous draft, along with the amount that was more than the player taken behind him and arguably accepting less than the guy picked in front of him. It became a little complicated. That's why you had holdouts. We don't have any of that anymore it's also why a lot of players these days refuse to give their agents a cut of their rookie deal salaries i mean like nothing not one percent not two percent nothing they're they give their agents or they're allowing their agents to keep a piece of whatever marketing marketing deals they set up for them but that's it and what happens is and that's why you see a lot of players who Go through their rookie deals and then as soon as they are ready to sign a max deal or a major deal their next contract they often go to a bigger agency again because it allows them to say i'm not going to give you a cut or i'm going to give you a very small cut of my player salary but i'll allow you to market me and that's a bargain that the bigger agencies are willing to make Now, I believe still having Simmons on the 76ers, even if he's in camp and practicing, is far from ideal for a team presumably hoping to replicate what it did last year in having the Eastern Conference's best record. As I've said here before, there are a host of East teams that have improved since last season, including the two teams that were breathing down the Sixers' neck in the Milwaukee Bucks and Brooklyn Nets. Both the Miami Heat and Chicago Bulls should be vastly better as well. The Boston Celtics should be better. I think I've been over this ground in a previous episode. You get the point. Eastern Conference overall has gotten better. But have the Philadelphia 76ers? Daryl Morey has a proven track record of valuing making deals over dealing with feelings or taking into account chemistry. I believe he believes chemistry is important. I just also believe he doesn't consider it a priority for someone in his position to help develop, develop it. Although no one in the media has pointed this out, Daryl being very much a media darling, but the Sixers have had a rather unimpressive offseason. The whole Ben Simmons deba- debacle on the side. After melting down against the Atlanta Hawks in the second round of the playoffs... They've gotten sideways with Simmons, lost Dwight Howard to the Lakers, replaced him with Andre Drummond, and replaced Mike Scott with George Niang. We'll let the Lakers tell you how badly the Sixers lost out on that exchange, having had both Dwight and Drummond the last two years. They let Drummond go in order not just to get Dwight back, but then signed DeAndre Jordan. That's 33-year-old DeAndre Jordan who didn't play a minute in the playoffs for the Nets last year rather than keep the 28-year-old Drummond who gave them 9 points and 11 rebounds averaging just over 20 minutes a game in the Lakers' first-round loss to the Suns. Put that in the Speaks Volumes category about what they thought Drummond actually was and not based on his statistics. Now, whatever you might have thought Scott, Mike Scott, did or didn't have left, the lasting impression Niang left me with last season, watching him play for the Utah Jazz, is when he committed three turnovers in less than 11 minutes in Game 3 of their series with the Clippers. He contributed seven rebounds, five assists, five turnovers, and five points in 59 minutes in that series overall. So I wouldn't be counting on him to upgrade the Sixers' postseason form either. All of which leaves Morey needing to get a return on Simmons that at least on paper looks as if the 76ers improved. Especially since the last time Morey traded a disgruntled point guard... He got absolutely taken to the cleaners. That would be the deal sending Chris Paul to the Oklahoma City Thunder for Russell Westbrook. Because it wasn't just Chris Paul that Maury moved out the door. He also gave the Thunder four future first-round picks, essentially mortgaging the Rockets' future, and then a year later skipped town. It's nice work if you can get it. And I have to wonder, why hasn't anybody in the media brought that up either? All of which is why, as of right now, I expect Simmons to show up for camp and Maury to wait until one of the other 29 GMs reaches a level of desperation that the squad they have will not reach his owner's expectations and decides to shuffle the deck. Deciding that a 6'10 point guard with no jump shot is the answer as well. Sacramento feels very much like one of those teams that could find itself in that position. And... For the Sixers, if it wrecks the chemistry of the team or shortens the timeline of getting acclimated to whatever players more he gets for Simmons, well, that's Doc Rivers' department, right? Which brings us to Doc's previous team, the Los Angeles Clippers. You've probably seen by now the video clip or a still frame of the team's two stars, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, sitting in the front row of a performance by the pop band Fits in the Tantrums, whose song, I Can Make Your Hands Clap, was once upon a time on a workout playlist of mine. True confessions, not sure how or why, but it was, and I'm pretty sure they've never been on one of Kawhi's playlists based on his expression at their performance as part of the groundbreaking ceremony for the Clippers' new arena. And I'm not mad at him for that. We all have our preferred musical tastes. Now, in the big picture, it would be silly to take this as a referendum that Kawhi is somehow unhappy being a clipper, though I'm sure someone at some point will use this as additional evidence of that idea if somehow it gains some traction. I heard that argument last summer before he quietly re-upped with the Clippers on a four-year, $176 million max deal, as if he had decided after two years that orchestrating his move to the Clippers so he could be close to his San Diego home was some kind of check-it-off-my-bucket-list experiment instead of joining the team that allows him to live where he wants to be year-round and is not the Lakers. But it does speak to a lack of communication between Kawhi and the organization. A lack of communication and a lack of understanding. Because if I take a step back, I'm thinking, what did you expect to get from Kawhi? He looks dour on his best days when he's not actively doing something. Besides, I highly doubt showing up for some kind of ceremony in the offseason was not on his list of things to do at the start of training camp just around the corner and yet he did but did anybody tell him who was performing do you think it might have helped Did they even consider asking him who they should get or maybe give him the option to cut out if he wasn't down with the music if you're going to trot him out as a show pony for the event why not engage him At the very least, I hope someone has taken a lesson from this and ideally had a conversation with Kawhi about how it could have been handled better. And anyone who's thinking, well, what's the big deal? They had a groundbreaking ceremony and Kawhi came off to many as miserable being there. So what? And in one respect, you're right. It's not an earth-shattering deal. It's just a groundbreaking one. But here's why it is a big deal. Because... I suspect it's a big deal to owner Steve Ballmer. He desperately wants to, if not supplant the Lakers as LA's team, at least gain some ground on them. It's why he's building this damn new arena to the tune of $2 billion of his own money. It's why he signed Kawhi in the first place and Paul George and sits on the baseline and acts like a lunatic at their games. It's why he has promised... Never to rebuild or take a step back, but instead look for a way to keep the Clippers competitive and improving every year. And impressions and images matter when it comes to this battle. The Clippers have generally lost badly in the departments of public opinion and public appeal forever. Now, I saw a pretty cool video clip featuring PG and Kawhi pumping up the new arena, and its part in trying to even the scales in the battle for L.A. It made me feel as if PG and Kawhi do feel some ownership in that battle. I also saw a photo in the Los Angeles Times of Kawhi smiling at the event. Yes, I'm not kidding. Broad, teeth-exposed smile, too, while talking to Jerry West. So it's not as if Kawhi was a reluctant participant the whole time, which makes me wonder, did you really need Kawhi and PG sitting there while Fitz performed? This also feels like one more chance to take a shot at the Clippers, a walking target practically since their inception. And for most of the time, they deserved it. Since the video had to be taken by someone who was at the groundbreaking ceremony though, they had to have seen Kawhi appearing to enjoy the event earlier when he took part in the ceremonial sticking a shovel into the dirt with a line of others, other dignitaries, including PG. It would have been a hell of a lot more fair to acknowledge that and pinpoint his slouched posture, crossed arms, and bored look to the musical performer, not to the event itself. But then, it probably wouldn't have had quite the same impact, wouldn't have generated the same number of clicks or retweets or comments. It would have just been more fair. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I am fully expecting that we're going to get some kind of real news in the NBA this week with us closing in just know, a week away from the start of training camp. And so I'm going to count on that, something bubbling up from that to be the subject of my next podcast. Otherwise, it's Derek Rose and Hall of Fame time. We'll see. In the meantime...